shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel and the gate of Samaria. Then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit uh, still here, we'll die also. Now therefore come and let us go to the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the group of, of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver, gold, and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then said they one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on this subject. Satisfied but poor. Satisfied, but poor. There's something that happens to churches. It happens to people. It happens in a marriage. It happens in families. There's a problem that sets in sometimes, and it's called complacency. Where people become satisfied with where they are in life, with what they've accomplished, and they have lost their desire to be better. They've lost their desire to get better, to have better, to do better. And I don't want to be offensive to this congregation here today, but there's a lot of people that are sitting in this building right now that have reached this place of satisfaction in life, but you don't realize how poor you've become. Or I should say, you don't know how rich you could become. And I'm not talking specifically about money. I'm talking about the richness of life and living it to its fullest. Complacency is the enemy of every person. Spiritual satisfaction or spiritual complacency can lead us to a place of spiritual poverty, complacent but poor, satisfied but poor. Our own spiritual complacency keeps us from striving toward the great places that the kingdom of God has to offer. I pray frequently and I pray passionately that God would move us to where He is. The song they just sang was so applicable. We don't want your blessing. We want you. I don't want what you can do for me, but I want to have a bond and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual satisfaction, spiritual complacency leads 
to spiritual paralysis and our talents and giftings atrophies and becomes useless. Spiritual satisfaction is a vice that must be fought against every single day of our lives. We cannot lose the desire to get better. I appreciate your response, but it was a little too complacent for me. We cannot lose our desire as families, as married couples, as a church to get and to be better. Amen. We must fight against complacency and spiritual satisfaction every day, every day of our lives. Abraham Lincoln said, failure is not a crime, but low aim is. Somebody said indifference, indifference, complacency, satisfaction, never wrote great works, nor thought out striking inventions, nor reared the solemn architecture that awes the soul. Complacency never breathed sublime music, nor painted glorious pictures, nor undertook heroic giving. All of these things are born of great zeal and were done with much heart. I'm here to appeal to grace today. We have a house that's decently full of people. We have room for more, but not a whole lot more without doing something about it. I'm thankful for that, but I am determined not to let this church get on cruise control and say we have a full house and we need to stop. I submit to you today, as far as this pastor's concerned, we've just started. This is just the beginning. We may have to go to two services. We may have to go to three services. We may have to buy a bigger building. But whatever it takes, I refuse for complacency and satisfaction to get a hold of my mind and stop right here. We've got a job to do, and we can't rest until the job is done. There has to be a refusal on the inside of you not to allow life to stuff you into a place of complacent and apathetic existence. We have to strive to be better. We must strive to be better. All right, I'm going to run that flag up the pole again. We must strive to be better. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are some things that create a sense of spiritual complacency for us. I want everybody in the house to set up straight and point both ears in this direction. Insurmountable odds can cause a person to become complacent. In other words, there's just no point in trying. There's too much against me. But I remind you today, if God be for us, then who? And may I add, or what can be against us? I feel like preaching a little while today. Something just hit. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how bleak and how hopeless. It doesn't matter how incredible something ahead of you seems. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Insurmountable odds cannot be an excuse to fall into a place of complacency. The second thing that causes complacency is overwhelming losses. And there's people here today that have lost some very dear things to you. You've lost some very dear people in your life. But let pastor preach here today with a heart full of concern and care, but a heart full of passion and fervency. 
We cannot accept life the way it is. It may be bad now, but your attitude alone can make it a whole lot better. It just depends on how you see it. Yes, we may have lost some things, and yes, we may be hurting, but I still know a God today that said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The third thing that creates a sense of spiritual complacency for us is entrapment in the past. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know what evil has gone on in my life. I'm here again to introduce you to Jesus because a trip to the front of the cross can take your past and put it under a blood covering that the Bible teaches that even God will remember it no more. So you can remind God of your past tomorrow and he'll say, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. We must move away from the past and start looking for a better future. May I interject here this morning and say in passing that if your past lifestyle has only led you to a place of complacency, then how about considering the way you're living? There's no point in repeating tomorrow what you did today when it's not producing anything. There's a place you can get in Jesus where purpose comes to life, where hope comes to life, where vision comes to life, and you can see a tomorrow full of blessing, full of better, full of quality, full of character, full of change for the better. You can start moving towards a relationship with God that will impact the rest of your life. I believe I mentioned it Wednesday night or last Sunday. But let me challenge people here today that struggle with their past. Don't ever forget the little profound statement somebody made years ago that today is the first day of the rest of your life. It just depends on how you look at it. The fourth thing, and then I'll move on, that causes spiritual complacency is people have a fear of the future. I can't face tonight when it's time to go to sleep. I can't face tomorrow morning when it's time to wake up. I can't face next week. I can't face the pressure of the job. I can't face the dilemma of my marriage. I can't face the problems my kids are having. I can't face it. I'm just, I'm just consumed with fear. Let me take you back to the book. Let me take you back to the electronic book. And let me flip through the electronic pages of my time-worn iPad and tell you today with everything on the inside of me that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. My Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong power and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. My Bible said rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I'll rise again. Hallelujah to God. You don't have to be afraid of tomorrow when your life is in the hands of the one that holds tomorrow. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yeah! Contentment. Contentment with earthly goods is the mark of a saint. But contentment with our spiritual state is a mark of inward blindness. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, I therefore so run 
not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, that I myself should become a castaway. We can't stop. We can't level off. We can't plateau out. There's always room for improvement in your relationship with God. And we must collectively as a church and you as a family, you as a married couple, you as parents must continually strive to be better. We can't be satisfied. We can't be complacent. Because when you get complacent, you get poverty stricken. Spiritual growth never comes without some form of sacrifice or suffering. It's not going to happen. You're not going to grow up on these twigs. When you're a kid, a little boy growing up, I love watching the little boys in our church grow up because mama tries to hang on to them britches as long as she can. And they always seem to fit around the waist. But pretty soon they just turn into Bermuda shorts. See these little boys walk in, their pants are that high over the tops of their shoes. They used to fit three years ago, but there's a price tag to growing up. You outgrow your britches. Now that's a kid. As a kid, you outgrow the length. As an adult, you outgrow the width. That was sweet right there. Spiritual growth never comes without some form of sacrifice or suffering. The greatest men of God have always had something inside of them that was hungry for more. The greatest people in God's kingdom has always had a desire on the inside of them for something more. Psalm 42 and verse 2, the psalmist said, My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before my God? Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul. Thirst for thee, my flesh longs for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I want to see thy power and thy glory. So I have seen thee in thy sanctuary. Desire. An undying desire. An unfading desire. from the psalm for nothing more than the echoes of our lives. They're true to life because they're drawn from the stuff that life is made out of. The psalms talks about hope, but it also talks about fear. The psalmist talks about love, but he also talks about hate. He talks about jubilation. He talks about frustration, faith, and anxiety. He talks about joy and despair. We find the writers of the psalm not only experiencing the varied emotions of life, but also in different places of life. It seems at one moment we stand on the bedrock of hope, and the next we're wallowing in the quicksand of just sheer horror. One minute we're shouting, and the next we're shaking. One minute faith thrills us, the next fear threatens us. One minute we're full of confidence, and the next we're at the point of collapse. All of our struggles and all of our victories should have one common purpose, and that is to create on the inside of us an insatiable hunger for God. I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. I've heard people sing the old chorus, more of you, more of you. All I want is more of you and sing it to complacency. You want more of God, you sure don't act like it. You want more in your relationship with God, sure don't see the fruit of it. We've gotten complacent and we've gone spiritually bankrupt. We've got to pursue our struggles and all of our victories should have one common purpose, and that is to create within us an insatiable hunger for God. God's greatest men were those who had a longing for God that pursued Him, that propelled them onward and upward to heights that the average eyes never see, and what the average did see, though uh, lethargic spiritual eyes, they never had any hope of reaching such a place in God. I never want to be in that category of just marking time with my life and 
just living today like I did yesterday on a hopeless, directionless, visionless ship on a sea of despair and dread and boredom. God, wake us up today. Wake up every person in this building today and help us to understand and realize that there's a whole Disney world of God out there, if you'll excuse the expression, and we've never touched it. We've never tasted it. Oh, one of the preachers we met this morning, I'm passing on to the next one. The text we read tells a very morbid story. There came a time in Israel's history towards the end of the Old Testament when Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, surrounded Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, and was intent on conquering it. You can read about it in the preceding chapter. The city of Samaria had been overtaken by an enemy army on the outside and a famine on the inside. The people were so driven by their hunger on the inside of Samaria, that they were eating their own babies. Get your head around that. Get your head around that. Don't tell me what you can and cannot do, but rather tell me what you're willing to do and not willing to do. More than one time, men and women on this planet have gotten hungry enough to eat their own kids. Hunger is a motivator, my friend. People, I've heard people say, I could never eat a boiled crawfish. Really? Let me string you out in the desert for about 40 days. You'll eat it. And from then on, you'll be a convert ready for heaven. They were, had become cannibals. And their fear only exacerbated the whole situation. As Ben-Hadad's army threatened from the outside, they were dying by the droves on the inside. It was a great city, the capital of Israel. Ben-Hadad had cut off all communication from the outside world. They couldn't even signal anywhere for help. They were dying on the inside. They were starving to death on the inside. If they fled the city, they'd get shot with bow and arrow. But while all of this was going on, on the outside of the city, ostracized by the city, left to die by the city, was poor Lazarus. I love these guys, buddy. I love their attitude. I love their attitude. No doubt... These men had talked the situation over among themselves and obviously it appeared pretty grim for them as well. Buddy, they had no tomorrow. Do you understand me? If you get so hungry enough to eat your own child, you sure ain't sharing. So these men were dying of leprosy, starvation, and isolationism. They were dying mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They had no hope. Look at your neighbor and say, no hope. It was certain death for them. No matter what they did, they were going to die. If they stayed where they were, they were going to die. If they went to the city, they were going to die. So one of them had a brilliant idea. Why sit here till we die? But I'm here to tell you today, church member, from wherever you're from and wherever you've been and whatever your life has been about, I've watched one child of God all of my life after another sit on a church pew and die of complacency. They got satisfied and died. You say it's, I agree with the lepers and I do. I jump on this bandwagon every time I read the scripture. Well, man, that's a, that's a great attitude. You're going to die anyway, so try something. That's just common sense. 
But church people don't do that. They'd rather sit and die. Well, I don't try anything new. I'm sure these lepers, and I'm going to start meddling right now, but God help me, we might as well come to grips and reality with what's happened in our church culture. But I'm sure they remembered the days before they got leprosy, how they ran around with their kids and played with their kids and worked a job and leprosy got a hold of them and everything changed. You can live in yesterday if you want to and you can sit right there and die in some kind of deluded way, not even realize that you're dying. The prodigal son died in the father's house. The father said, this my son was dead. And I'm here to tell you he died before he left. He got complacent and said, I want something else somewhere else. So let's go visit the Syrians. I mean, the worst they can do is kill us. They'll be quick. They sure don't want to touch us. You know, no torture stuff because they're afraid they'll get this junk we got. I'm going to tell you complacent saints, nobody wants what you got. Man, I could preach right here for a long time. Nobody wants your sour puss look disease. You're sitting there. God help me. We claim we know Jesus. And man, we're full of the Holy Ghost. And we spoke in tongues. Oh man, we were this and we're that. And we know this about the Bible and that about the Bible. And we're so happy in Jesus with somebody in this place, including pastor. Please, man, tell your face what's going on on the inside of you. Because we can't tell by looking. So thankful they don't have testimony service no more because I don't have one. Marriages fall apart because love is not expressed. How do you think your relationship with God's going to be? Kids get real disillusioned with their parents because love is never expressed. How are you and God doing? You're doing good. You love Jesus. Still on your Holy Ghost honeymoon? Are you still excited about him? I'm not here to be rude, neither am I here to be ugly. But there's people sitting on these pews right now that you've decided, I'm just going to sit here and die. Because it's hopeless. If I go that way, I'm going to die. If I go that way, if I go that way, that way. No matter what I do, it's over. It's over for me now. I want to be the next recorded martyr in history. I want to eventually have the church pronounce the word saint when they say my name. The problem is, and the way I think, is you ain't one. You used to be, but something happened. You lost fire. You lost zeal. You lost enthusiasm. You developed a desire for the world. You decided for whatever reason that I'm just not happy in Jesus like I'm preaching to somebody right now. Deep down on the inside, your heart is screaming, get up! And would you renew your relationship with God? Would you do something? Would you clap your hands? Would you jump up and down? Do something, do something, do something. But you've decided, I'm going to sit right here. get to my message in a minute. I'm trying not to be long-winded. Let me take a sip of water, and you can say you're, I'm the only windmill you've ever seen run on water. Principle number one that we learned from the lepers. Lepers had been thrown out of the city for the reason. The extremities of their bodies was literally rotting off because of leprosy. Lepers in those days were looked upon with great disdain. 
They were looked on as failures and outcasts. They were a mistake. But I want to say to you that sometimes failure and frustration is nothing more than the ushers of God that he uses to bring you to your great destiny. Failure and frustration is God's own personal ushering staff that will usher you to your great destiny because of their own misfortune. God, because of their own misfortune, God was about to bless not only them, but their family, their entire city, their entire country. And he was already was banishing the enemy. He used their misfortune. It's not how sick and hopeless you feel. It's how hungry are you to get better. I just hate the way I'm looking. I hate what's going on. Okay, well do something about it. Why sit there and die over it? Get up and do something. If you've got that mindset of I'm going to die anyway, what's the big deal then? At least die where somebody would say something good about you at the funeral. Because of their own misfortune, God was about to bless their world. In fact, but man, this is profound and this will tweak. Hallelujah. This is awesome right here. The man who has the emptiest stomach is more likely to find a place to eat. Somebody said one time, never eat what a skinny cook has to offer. Furthermore, the man who feels his sin is the most the man who feels his sin is the most is the most likely to be the one who seeks after God with the most fervent. Those lepers could have continued to live just like they always had. Hand to mouth, just trying to make ends meet. But something called hunger began to stimulate their dreaming about God and what he might be able to do if they got up and did something that he could bless. These men did not need to take some poison to commit suicide. They did not need to find some cliff to go jump off of. They were already so far spent by their own starvation. Death was imminent. So putting their disease and uncleanness aside, they used hunger as a motivation and said we're going to do something. I'm here to tell every person in this building tonight, if you don't like the way life is, if you want it bad enough, you can change it. You just as Brother Oggs preached, you got to have a. Despite their difficulties, they found something to work with. The wise man said in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, God has a plan for your life. These lepers brought to life some purpose in their hearts, and it made all the difference in the world. Their hunger pressed them to find out what God had waiting on them. Their hunger, not their disease, not their symptoms, not their situation. Somebody, you got to hear it right now. Not what's wrong with me. It's how hungry am I to change it. That's what makes the difference. <laughs> oh, God, I'm trying to hurry. This is what the devil doesn't want you to know. And that's why I remind you of your sickness more than your hunger. He keeps your sickness and your problems and your circumstance out in front of you. And he buries the hunger to change it. He buries the hunger to change it. But this is what the devil doesn't want you to know is that this gnawing and driving discontentment in your life is going to open a path to you that will cause great exaltation in your life. This is why the devil hates it when a church gets hungry for revival and harvest. When hunger sets in, men will do anything. When you look at the spiritual principle that's magnified here, it should make you want to get up. Not only were they hungry, 
But here's another thing we don't want to have to face the reality of. Is there's not enough of me, Pastor, to do this. There's just not enough of me left. I've heard people say that. I just don't have enough of me left. I just can't generate it. I've tried and I'm tired. I've tried and I'm weak. And I've tried and it don't work. I've tried and I fail. I've tried and it don't work. You're, you're kind of like the person that you, you're about to jump off the bridge and your friend comes up and starts talking to you and persuades you. Let's walk around the block and talk about it. You go around the block and both of you come jump off the bridge. Principle number two, hunger is a motivator. Number two, it's not how many lepers were there, it's how united they were because of it. It's not how many, it's how united. There was only four, and they said, let us go into the camp of the Syrian army. <laughs> Are you stupid? There's like 100,000 men out there with swords that will shave your beard off for you, man. And there's spears and horses and chariots and they're loaded to the hilt and they have a catapult and, and they have all these weapons and here's four lepers and you look like, I don't know what. And you're going, hey man, we're going to die anyway. And so they got united. I don't know how many lepers was outside the gate, but four of them got united behind the cause. They got united. These four decided that together they could shake their world. It was just a minority of the citizens of Samaria. Just a small, sickly, disgusting, despicable minority of men. But they, it was enough to break open a revival in their place. And they decided that they were not going to sit there in their misery any longer. Together, we will either live or die. Together, we'll either find food or we'll die trying. Together, we'll depend on God. Together, we'll make the journey. Together, we'll seek out the Syrians. Quit trying or quit crying about what you don't have and start focusing in on what you've been blessed with. Together we can give ourselves to prayer. Together we can give ourselves to impact. Together we can give ourselves to our care groups. Together we can work in the kingdom. Together we can fill up our Sunday school classroom. Together we can give ourselves to praying. Together, 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 together. We can do anything when we put our minds to it. We have to unite behind the one common cause. And that's to get up and impact our world. And we can do it. Those twelve little despised disciples that run around behind Jesus everywhere he went, questioning everything he did. Luke wrote about them a few years later and said, these are they that turned their world upside down. We can do whatever we set in our heart. The fourth principle is how powerful hunger is in our lives. It's not how preposterous the method may be, but how powerful the God that's behind it lepers were looking for deliverance and famine when God starts working on your behalf it's not how difficult the dilemma but it's how powerful God in your dilemma is don't forget about the three Hebrew boys as strong as those by furnace matter of fact the men that threw them in there burn up it's not the circumstance it's how powerful the God is that you bring into it and bring him into that happen for my own self, but to live living years of, of a complacent life on cruise control and, and not having to do anything anybody told me to do and not being accountable. And all of the long list of reasons you put behind it has brought you to a place and now you're destitute and you're hungry and you're starving and you feel like there's no hope, but I'm here to tell you, don't just sit there another day and die, but get up and if you will... Take Jesus with you and storm the gates of hell itself and see what God will do. Here's what's amazing. The leper said, why sit we here till we die? We're going to go talk to the Syrians. I'm not sure what they were expecting, but I can promise you it probably wasn't much. 
They'll probably throw us a few leftover biscuits that's stale and molded. And they may give us a little over leftover lamb chop that's cold and greasy. But hey, it's better than what we're eating now. Buddy, this is what God does. When God steps into your life, he always goes haywire, man. He goes crazy. I say that in all due respect. These four lepers hobbled into that camp of the Assyrian army. And buddy, they were in for a shock, an awakening, a surprise like they never dreamed in a million years. I saw on television, I saw on the radio uh, a a few days ago. I was in a restaurant, okay? People waiting out in line, some little old convenience store somewhere. That's what come to me. It looked like a giant super center Walmart. They were in there buying that lottery ticket for that $700 million they wanted to give away. Did anybody ever win that? Are you here this morning? I need to see you after church. These fellows won the lottery, if you will. They had gold and silver. Horses, chariots, food. The king's food was at their disposal. You know, everybody else got a leftover pork chop. The king was out there eating filet mignon. They got all that, man. They got the garnished hen. I don't know why they never garnish a rooster. But it's always a garnished hen. They got everything they wanted, man, at their disposal. They walked in there and there wasn't a sword. There wasn't a soldier nowhere. There wasn't a battle to fight. It was instant. Multi-gajillionaires overnight. Wine sick to their stomach. When God steps in, the wealth, the fulfillment, live another day broken in spirit broken broken in every way broken home broken friends broken promises why live like that another day why just sit there and starve to death as a byproduct of complacency with God say brother Murphy I've heard these kind of sermons before and they never worked at my place because you never got up there's too many people here today where it has worked There's a little gal here this morning, and I brag on her every chance I get. Brianna, stand up. You knew it was coming. She told me this morning, after five years, Brother Murphy, I'm starting to catch on to your joke. Hallelujah. Through insurmountable odds, she's determined, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give my life to Him. And if she don't mind me saying it, if she does, she can get mad at me later. She told me the other day, she said, Pastor, I feel like I have a call of God on my life. She said, I want to go overseas. I want to go work in a far land. I believe she wants to go to see Germany or Greece, one of the two. She said, I have to go over there one day, and I'm going to give my life to the kingdom. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me you're not going over there one day. Don't tell me you're not. There's people here today. I could call them out, but I'm not going to. There was another time and place I would. But there's people here today that their marriage was on the rocks and there was no hope. There was no hope. It's over, Pastor. But they gave God a chance. They got up and they gave God a chance. Don't tell me it don't work. Why sit there? Why sit there and live another day in, in, in mental, spiritual, physical, emotional deprivation when you can have hope like you've never had before? Why sit there and die? There is hope. There's possibility of change. You can be better. You can get better. You can do better. God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. God can. God can. 
It's not based on your dilemma, your past, or your future. It's not based on your circumstances. It's just based on how bad you want to get better. How bad do you want to be better? How bad do you want to be better? If you've got a hunger and a desire for the old life to end and a new life to begin, you're at the right place at the right time. You just got to have a want to. Not a matter of I can't. It's hard to believe a person can get hungry enough to eat their own child. It's hard to believe it. It just happens. People have gotten hungry enough that they eat their own waste. Hunger. Motivated. Don't tell me you can't. The truth of the matter is you don't want to. But you just want to. Stand with me this morning, and you know, the desire that motivates a person, when hunger starts motivating a person, people do some things I don't want to do. There's people here today that's gone through family situations I wouldn't last for five minutes if they had a desire to eat their own child. There's people here today that's been to hell themselves. I look back there and you hardly ever hear her name called. She's an incredible person, Sister Patsy Palmer. I remember a number of years ago she was facing surgery. She had a brain tumor. She put her future in the hands of God. What was the surgery? 16, 18 hours, something like that. They operated on it, took four or five different shifts of doctors. She had a want to. I want to come out of this. I think she ended up losing hearing in one ear. The doctor said she could be paralyzed. She could be literally mentally retarded. Anything could happen. She put her faith in God. She had a want to. When she came out of it, she saw that she had a hearing in both ears. Sister Lawrence. I would die if I lost a child. I say I would. Can't even hardly stand to think about it. She lost two. Two kids in one year. We had to say goodbye to her. We had to think about her all the time. But she had a want to and she forgot. And she ran to Jesus. Can you hear me? We have at least three people in this building right now can't be surviving because they want to. Won't you just pray with me? Starting right now, God is speaking. There's people here today that's lived with myriad conditions for years. You're sick of it. You're sick of yourself. Softly, there was such an uh, eruption of worship here a little while ago. 